The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. On this episode of Newt's World, a friend of mine recently sent me a video entitled Singapore Trash Disposal and marked the subject line as brilliant. I thought the one-minute video was very well done. It told the story of how the tiny country has no space for trash and how it gets rid of it. The host of the video tracks the trash to their incineration plant and explains how the plant generates electricity and does not pollute the environment because they filter the air. The video piqued my interest, and I was delighted to find out about the host, Nasir Yassin. Nasir is a Palestinian-Israeli video blogger who created a thousand daily one-minute videos on Facebook under the page Nas Daily. He graduated from Harvard with a degree in economics in 2014 and went to work as a software developer at Venmo, the payment service owned by PayPal. But in 2016, he quit his job and decided to travel the world. His book, Around the World in 60 Seconds, A Thousand Days, 64 Countries, One Beautiful Planet, tells his story. I am very pleased to welcome my guest, Nusir Yassin. Let me start, Nasir, and welcome you all the way from Singapore. How did you come up with this idea of doing one-minute videos every day and going all around the world? First of all, Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm used to seeing you on TV 5,000 miles away, but it's nice to see you on my laptop screen. 
Why did I make a one minute video every day? Because your attention span is just getting shorter. You don't need 50 damn hours to explain a topic. You don't need 50 academic papers. You just need a tweet or a one minute video and you can get to the essence of things very, very fast. And that was the hypothesis I had five years ago. And that's why I decided to stick to like very, very short videos, but explain very big ideas. And why did I make them a thousand times? Because you can only improve if you have a thousand failures. So every day I failed, I corrected myself the next day and the next day and the next day. So I gave myself 24 hours to fix my mistakes. This level of commit is how I ended up making that video that reached you. And by the way, say thank you to your friend. I'll do that. I mean, it's a great video, I have to say. But I'm curious. So you've come out of Harvard. You've had a great job. You suddenly decide you're off on your own. What did you actually do? How did you start? You know, usually I think the best way to succeed is to through the deep end. I'll tell you something. I was in the United States. I won my H-1B lottery, right? I got be visa. By the way, the U.S. visa system is broken. I won the American dream. I got a Harvard degree and a good paying job at PayPal, and I still had to beg America to keep me inside of it. And so at some point I said, I'm not gonna beg America anymore. I'm just gonna go to Kenya and start making content on the internet. My hypothesis is that media is gonna be decentralized. The hypothesis is that the New York Times, Fox News, whatever those big media institutions, they cannot continue forever. And the next media is gonna be individuals like me, like my cousins, like Indians, like Americans. And that's why I decided to start making content. And I just bought a camera and I literally started talking to the camera. And to my surprise, millions of people listened. So let me start at the basics. Why did you pick Nairobi to start? <laughs> that really is the basics. I just thought it's just slightly more exciting than New York. You know, New York has a lot of media. It's been covered a million times. Nairobi has not been covered a million times. And I had a couple of friends there. I thought it would be a nice place to start. Usually the places that don't have enough media are the ones that are most interesting. Were you primarily in the city or did you also go out to the great wildlife areas? So Nas means people in Arabic. So one thing I realized from this journey is that if I put a human face in my videos, the video does better. If I put an animal in my video, the video does worse. If I put nature in my video, it does worse. I only stayed around where the people are. So I just went from cities to cities, as opposed to the safari and the traditional stuff. That's interesting. So actually you found the opposite of, I talked one time to the producer who produced The Hangover, and he said actually that it was the tiger in the first movie and the monkey in the second movie that made the movies. <laughs> yeah, because you're stuck in the cinema, you cannot leave. But on Facebook, you can easily scroll away. So that's interesting. So you start in Kenya, and then where does your trek take you to? You know, I was on this three and a half year long journey to one is find a source of income to get someone to pay attention to my videos. So I would go wherever I felt like going. So my next trip was to Ethiopia. So Kenya, India, then Nepal, then Japan then back to America, then Israel. So I just went where I felt like I could make videos. How are you paying for this? 
<laughs> First of all, I think whoever's listening, money should not be the thing that matters. It should be attention. If you have people's attention, you have a guaranteed way to make money. I had enough savings. I had saved up $60,000 from my job at Venmo. And the $60,000 I knew could last me for two years in Kenya and India and maybe half a month in New York. So I just went to places that are affordable. And slowly, you know, the more I got people's attention, the more they started to give me money. Here's $2,000 to make a video just like yours, but for my company. Here's $5,000 to speak at my conference. Here's $50,000 to do this big project together. And the more followers I started to get, the more money I could charge. And so it's just putting yourself out there. You'll end up finding people like you, Mr. Speaker, that are interested in what you do. So this is great. The actual videos, the world in a thousand videos, those are free, right? Yes, entirely free, yes. Yeah. But then they lead people for one reason or another to decide to give you money. Correct. I love social media for that reason. Remarkable. But now, were you born in Palestine, Israel, or where were you born? Yeah, so I was born and raised in probably the worst place in the world, Israel and Palestine. <laughs> I was born as a Palestinian in the country of Israel. So 20% of Israel is not Jewish, and that includes me. And, you know, unfortunately, I just wanted to escape because I didn't feel equal. And America was the place where I felt equal. And I applied to Harvard from Israel, begging them to let me in, and they gave me a scholarship. And some random, rich, old man probably gave me $250,000 as a scholarship because it's not federal funding. And for that person, I owed it my life. No, wait a second, Master. Remember, in the tradition of equal opportunity for both my wife and my daughters and my granddaughter, it could have been a rich old woman who gave you the money. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But that, that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> it was a rich old family. Actually, they're probably white and they were white. <laughs> See, this is all breaking down. So you lived for a while in Cambridge, right? Yes. Now, when you graduate, where did you go to? I went down to New York to get a software engineering job. Right. Yeah. And then you start traveling. Correct. And I'm now talking to you in Singapore. Yes. Which is a great city. Close to I love Singapore. You have a fascinating zoo that has both a day zoo and a night zoo. <laughs> I'm a zoo fanatic, so I pick up on things like this. But do you now live in Singapore? So, yeah, it's kind of untraditional for a media person to want to be in Singapore. But after visiting, you know, the world for a thousand days, I saw 64 countries and I started to notice that, oh, my God, the next 50 year may not belong to New York. I'm being completely frank here. They may belong in Asia, in China, in Japan, in South Korea, in India. And so Singapore is the best place to live in, to be around the future. And that's why I decided to be based there. Now, you know, don't take offense. I still love America and my company's headquarters in America. I share some of your feeling about Singapore. I once had the privilege of spending a weekend with Lee Kuan Yew. Oh, that's amazing. And Henry Kissinger talking about how Lee Kuan Yew conceptualized modern Singapore. But I have to tell you, Singapore is expensive. You could live in Nairobi probably for 300 years for the cost of a decade in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, but Singapore's economy allows me to make $5 million a year, so I could afford to live here. <laughs> you know? 
Well, that's okay. I mean, you've done something very few people are able to do. You made enough money to pick the place you wanted to live at, and then you made more money because you picked the place you wanted to live at. Exactly. And the next place I'm living in and opening an office in is Dubai, which is more expensive. And also, in its own way, even more part of the future. Correct. I'm a big fan of what the country's doing. Yeah, of course, I were there about two years ago. We went to a camel race. And because of the outcry against using young boys as camel riders, they had invented robotic jockeys. So if you're watching these camels with this weird little mechanical thing on its back running and the various camel owners in their Mercedes are driving on the parallel track, and you realize the world is not anything like we think it is. It is so much richer, more complicated, and then more diverse. So are you still doing your videos? Yeah. So, I mean, look, why would I stop, right? This is an opportunity for a random ass brown kid to reach hundreds of millions of people. I would never stop this. And actually, we're doubling down on this because we have a chance to reach so many people that now we need to multiply myself and try to create more creators to spread our agenda on the internet. I think of it honestly, like I think of Nas Daily as like, my personal form of propaganda. I am on a mission to build my own propaganda. I am tired of New York Times propaganda, and I'm also tired of Fox News propaganda. I want a Palestinian-Israeli propaganda, and I'm building it. You're a one-person propaganda machine. Yes, and that's the future. One-person propaganda machine. But wait a second. As busy as you are, and as much money as you're making, how do you have the time to focus on originality and excellence in your videos, the way you could focus back when you were irrelevant. You're right. That's why I have people that help me. I have a great team. We are, you know, 60 people now. We're building products. We're teaching creators and we're finding stories. We're scripting them. I'm just like managing the operation and making sure the DNA of the company stays in the process. And that's the way I'm thinking of scaling this operation. You know, you come out of a background of education. Your dad was a psychologist, your mom a teacher. How much do you think growing up in a household where people thought about ideas, thought about books, how much do you think that affected you? <laughs> uh, Mr. Speaker, unfortunately, I never saw my parents read a book. Really? <laughs> I mean, if they do it, they do it at work. They don't bring it home. It's not like a traditional American family. Oh, that's interesting. Honestly, I would say seeing both my dad and my mom work so hard for so little money made me realize that this is unsustainable and education needs to change. And seeing them just waste their life repeating the same education in very ineffective ways made me more convinced that it's time to make education better. So I wouldn't say it inspired me positively. It actually inspired me negatively to make me want to make it more positive. I want to argue with you for a second. Yeah, please. You can knock me down and explain that I don't get it. Somehow they inspired in you the idea that you could be somebody. Correct. That is correct. Yes. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. 
Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So, I'm curious, in one of your videos... You talk about the mountain test and deciding what you would bring with you on your travel. What is the mountain test? <laughs> you know, in America, there's this whole buy, baby, buy, right? That never made me happy. So the mountain test is the idea that I need to have as little objects in my life as possible. So like the minimalism movement, right? And the way I do it is if I'm traveling, I only buy things that I'm willing to buy on a trek on top of a mountain, willing to take on top of a mountain with you. You're not going to take your, I don't know, your nice little souvenir or your Amazon Alexa that you'll never use on top of a mountain. And that has allowed me to have just a much clearer life. I only have 20 t-shirts, pairs of pants, one pair of shoes. And the t-shirts all look the same. It's the same design. It's the same look. That's my life. And you can put me anywhere in the world and I'll be able to pick up and continue. If you have all the t-shirts are the same, it does make getting dressed in the morning easier. Correct. Because whichever one you grab will be okay. Correct. I made my own t-shirt design and I only wear that t-shirt because I don't like the insane amount of focus on what you're wearing for women and men in the world. 
the Gucci's, the Louis Vuitton. It's like, why does a Gucci make you more valuable to me than a random black t-shirt? So I decided to only wear black t-shirts and it's worked well so far. So it does make it a little hard to distinguish you in a fancy bar though. <laughs> Unless you had kind of a little cute black Louis Vuitton you know, man purse or something to go with it. But let me go on. And I hope you don't mind my prying, but are you telling me that you have this extraordinarily simple place to live in Singapore that you have consciously avoided filling it up with junk? I avoided filling it up with junk. The people that live in my household have not avoided filling it up with junk. So it is still full of junk, but it's not my junk. So that's okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, just, that's a great line. Anyway, you also talk about the importance of politics in a way that I think would surprise people coming from somebody who's wandered around making a thousand videos around the world. Because you've seen the impact of good and bad politics as you've gone around the world. Why do you think politics is that important? Well, you dedicated your life to it, right? So you definitely have the answer to that. Much better answer than me. Oh, yeah, but you're a more interesting person. So you get the answer. Politics, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. The reason I don't have the same money as a Jewish guy in Tel Aviv is because of politics. The reason my voice doesn't matter is because of politics. The reason Palestine is not a state is because of politics. You know, people always shun away politics so that the only people left to do them are the ones who may not be good at doing them. No offense to anybody. <laughs> so I think politics should be like, it is the most meaningful thing I can see myself doing for the rest of my life. Like making videos on the internet is cute. You know, making travel videos is cute. Talking about waste, trash, disposal is cute. Building a company is cute. At the end of the day, if you truly want to save a life, you have to go to politics. That's the only thing that can make me die or continue to live. One politician's decision. Politics should be more competitive than getting into Stanford or Harvard. That's my opinion. So, you know, I agree with you. I mean, I've spent my lifetime trying to figure out what we have to do and uh, sadly, I have to say that at times I don't think I've succeeded very well. <laughs> the world has grown more complex at a rate faster than we've grown able to handle it. So it's been a huge challenge. But when you think about the places you've been, where would you say in all these countries you've visited now, some 60 countries, where would you say politics has been working most effectively? And where would you say politics has been the most destructive? Oh, man, this thing gets me riled up. I wouldn't say it's Israel. I wouldn't say it's Europe. I wouldn't say it's America. I would actually say it's Singapore or the United Arab Emirates. I've been incredibly fascinated by what Lee Kuan Yew did, just like you are, because most policies in this country in Singapore are unconventional. They have like this racial quotas. They have these taxes on cars, the way they build a society. You know, they may not be as freedom of speech as you have in America, right? You have limited freedom. But maybe I want to argue, but I actually believe in limited freedom. I don't believe in the American concept of freedom simply because times are changing and it may not work in the future. <laughs> so that's why I like Singapore and Dubai. Now, you know, I think that's an important distinction because I think in the West, by which I really mean Europe and the U.S., we have this sort of self-satisfied belief that we are the model and that we are inevitable, sort of like the guy that wrote the end of history. But in fact, 
what we're seeing is that there are alternative models that have enormous power and enormous attraction. And it's one of the things that uh, Xi Jinping keeps saying in China, that they're not migrating towards us. They're a parallel alternative way of organizing life. In their case, it's totalitarian. But, I mean, Li Kuan Yu was clearly an authoritarian. He was sort of vaguely related to the popular and clearly won every election, I think, honestly, because he was providing money and jobs and a rational strategy. But it is a different centering of what the values are. Yes. I think democracy works when the population is sufficiently educated. When it's not sufficiently educated, we should not be introducing democracy to Egypt or to Senegal or to... I'm a big fan of Rwanda. I'm a big fan of the Emirates. I'm a big fan of Singapore. I just wish sometimes, to be honest with you, I wish the American mainstream media and politicians would actually admit that the way we do things, our constitution should not and does not apply to other countries, and it may actually not work. And other constitutions may work better or just as good. You know, Calista and I went to Rwanda about a decade ago to climb up and see mountain gorillas. Oh, nice. And as part of that experience, we went to the memorial to the genocide. Yeah. Which, as you know, has 250,000 bodies buried. And you're in a garden walking on 250,000 people who were slaughtered. Yeah. It was a reminder that in the absence of order, terrible things can happen to everyday people. Yes. And you must have encountered that again and again as you went around the world. Yes. It doesn't have to be like that. But boy, when it breaks down, it can become horrible pretty fast. I completely agree. Let's say somebody came up to you and said, you know, they're 18, 20, 21 years old. They love what you're doing. They'd like to learn, you know, what's your advice for life? You know, if I look consistently back, you know, like growing up in a village in Israel and going to Harvard, getting a job in New York, making 100K a year, you know, becoming a creator on Facebook and living in Singapore with a 70-person company, the thing that consistently work is if you look around you, the average of what everybody is doing, you should not do. And almost always that works. You know, like, for example, in my village, everybody be a doctor. I hated being a doctor and I hated living in Israel. So I went to America. Everybody at Harvard wants to be a banker. I hated being a banker. So I didn't become a banker. Everybody in tech at PayPal wanted to be a software engineer. I wanted to be a content creator. So I would say... You should live on the internet. If you don't live on the internet, you will not make any money and you may have a really hard time succeeding. Software is eating the world. And if you don't know software, if you don't know content, if you cannot speak up, you're dead. It's as simple as that. And so everybody should learn how to code and everybody should learn how to make a podcast and everybody should learn how to make a video and everybody should learn how to tweet. So you're for a fairly noisy world. I am for a world where voices can be heard. That's a good distinction. <laughs> Which means all the people who are yelling also have to occasionally shut up and listen. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> if you look at it, in the past 500 years, the only people that got to speak are, you know, Western civilizations, specifically white people. And I think it's time we hear from what a random brown Indian has to say. I think it's time to hear from how an Asian would govern. It's time to hear how a Palestinian would give an opinion, you know? So I think 
diversity is the spice of life and the internet allows us to have much more diverse opinions. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you at all concerned that the internet gradually will be taken over either by oligopolies or by governments? I don't want to come off as authoritarian, but I am okay with limited freedom. In fact, you know, Singapore was the first one that introduced a fake news law in the world, right? The first country to introduce a law where you could get into real consequences if you put something wrong on social media or something that is like destructive. In the past, everybody could say whatever they want because they have no way of reaching millions of people. Today, I have the ability and anybody has the ability to reach 10 million people and above if their post goes viral. That is dangerous. 
You cannot have societal cohesion and order if you let anybody say whatever they want and share any fake news that they want. It's impossible. So because of tech, we need governments to regulate social media platforms and we need social media platforms to regulate themselves. So I'm kind of a fan of the trend that is happening because you cannot go around in Singapore and say the vaccine is not safe. You will actually be jeopardizing lives. And so that should not be allowed. And I agree with that because that's how you get order in society. When you have order, you can have safety. I think people care more about safety than they care about freedom. And so if you cannot go in Colorado and have safety of buying groceries, why do you care about your startup or building a company or whatever? We need that basic level of safety, and that's only possible if the government takes a stance. So who then governs the government? So uh, who governs the government? I mean, that's the billion-dollar question. No, no, because I think that's part of the American experience that was, I think, unique when we rebelled against the British was this very deep sense that government had gotten too strong and was too corrupt. And you've certainly filmed in countries where corruption is the norm. And it's very hard to figure out. You know, and those are countries which would say anything which describes corruption is illegal. There's a very interesting dialogue about we probably come down on different sides of it. I agree with you that there ought to be, for example, libel laws. There ought to be an ability for people to protect themselves if somebody's being genuinely dishonest. But I really worry about giving that power either to the oligarchs like Zuckerberg or giving that power to a government which is inevitably bureaucratic. But let me ask you, you go into your staff meeting and you're thinking about the next few weeks, how do you pick the next range of countries to go to? The country doesn't matter, right? It's the human that matters. Wherever I find interesting humans, you have to go and find them wherever they may be. So if there is a crazy person in Uganda, like I'm just gonna have to go to Uganda and tell his story. So there's a lot of stories that are untold and it's kind of like a treasure hunt. You're looking for treasures of people's stories that have never been told in the history of the planet and their life. And you go and tell it. And that's why this is so exciting. And I'm sure you have the same feeling, right, in your podcast where you bring in people and tell their story that otherwise may not have an ability to tell their story. So it's incredibly satisfying and meaningful. The process of finding and picking all these interesting places, and I like the way you approach it, which is you sort of start with the human and then work your way back to where they happen to be at. I mean, that's worth well enough that you really have, you know, an amazing followership and you're really in a position with, I think, the last time we looked, you have like 36 million followers and 7.5 million daily views, which is quite a fruition of an idea in a very short period of time. We've only been doing this a very few years. But in that context, you also have an academy. Now, what does your academy do? So the academy, it came out of the realization that education is broken. And I think that in the future, there will be a lot less of University of Alabama and a lot more of University of Allen, University of Newt. And I think the individual is going to be a university in the future. So what the academy does, it empowers anybody in the world that has knowledge to become a university. So we're on a mission to build 100,000 universities through technology. So I take you, okay, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker University, where he shares what he knows about politics 
or about society or about history. And people learn from you as opposed to learning from Harvard or from Duke or from whatever. And the decentralization of education is what I think the future is going to look like. And we want to build that for the future. So that's what the academy does. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if you've ever looked at a firm called Udacity. It's Audacity without the A, but it's an online learning system. And I'm a big fan of it because I think it's both bringing learning to people on their terms, and it's breaking up the sort of notion that you've got to go and sit around waiting for the professor and being sort of subservient to a hierarchy that can punish you if you don't repeat back to them what they want. So I'm delighted you're doing this. How do people find your academy? We've built five universities so far, so called NAS.academy. So www.nas.academy. NAS means people in Arabic. So it's the People's Academy, essentially, where we will host many, many different people and help them get education. I think Harvard is going to have to change. I think University of Alabama is going to have to change. Singapore University will have to change. The future is a four-year degree will be a 40 online course degree, and that's the future we're building. Do you do this in multiple languages? Everything we do, and this is something that I think anybody listening to this should be doing right now. Every video we make, every course we create, every web page we make is automatically translated to 12 different languages. Because in the world, only 20% of the world speaks English. The remaining ones can't even say hello. And it's like, if you're speaking in English, you're speaking to the minority. So all my videos, right, half of my audience, 15 million people do not speak English and follow me. They speak Arabic, they speak Vietnamese, they speak Spanish. And that's really exciting when you can localize your podcast, for example, to Vietnamese, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So do you do that with machine translation or do you do it with people or how do you do it? So we built software, we built like a Google Translate but for videos, social media videos, where you just like upload the video, it's automatically translated with the machine, 90% of it is translated, so 10% of it is mistakes, and then we put a human to fix the remaining 10% of mistakes, it takes like two, three minutes or so, and then we just upload. And it's like a five minute process to translate a full video, and it's the result of massive growth for us right now. And is that technology licensable? Yeah, we've built it internally. Anyone that makes videos on the internet should use that technology to localize their content. So yeah, yeah, it's licensable. That's wild. That's great. I don't know if you've ever spent any time with Sebastian Thrun, who is the developer of Udacity, but Sebastian was a German who decided he wanted to be an entrepreneur, so he came to the U.S., started at Carnegie Mellon, developed the early experiments on self-driving cars, and then went out to Stanford and became the research director for Google wow. and developed EarthView and developed the Google self-driving vehicle. He was teaching at Stanford, so he put a course online without Stanford's approval and said he's going to teach a course in advanced computing. He had 400 students at Stanford and 54,000 people wow. taking the course. And he said it was very humbling. The best student at Stanford was about number 400 on the finals. Wow. So he said at one level, it's a great, he said it was a great human resources project because you had all these really, really smart people showing up. He said the other thing he found that was really humbling was you actually did better on the course without his lectures. 
<laughs> said, I always thought it was a great lecture, but it turned out that people were intimidated. And if they ask you a question and they didn't understand your answer, they would very seldom come back and ask you the second, third, fourth time. But if they were online, the computer didn't care. Mm. So they could keep asking the computer till they finally got it. I love that. We went from there, quit everything, opened up Udacity, and I think is one of the great intellectual entrepreneurs of our generation. And the two of you at some point ought to get together because given what you're doing and what he's doing, it might be an extraordinary synergism. Oh, I love it. We're essentially building a form of Udacity, but slightly different. And Udacity is amazing. I mean, I'd love to talk to him at some point. I'll connect you to Sebastian because I, I just think having you to get to know each other would be a contribution to the future of the human race. I'm happy to occasionally contribute. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sort of like an old-fashioned marriage maker. <laughs> you know, you do the best you can in a wild world. Listen, I want to thank you. This has been about as much fun as any podcast that I've been involved in. And you have a great life. You have a lot of courage. You have the willingness to recognize you don't know what you're doing and do it anyway. And I think that that's a key part of real entrepreneurship and real creative genius. I mean, creative genius is like everybody else, except it doesn't stop. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, thank you for having me on this. I really enjoyed this conversation. You can read more about Nasir Yassin and get a link to his website, Nash Daily, and his book, Around the World in 60 Seconds, 1,000 Days, 64 Countries, One Beautiful Planet, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. 
Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.